0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IBT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or It's coming. But first, you've heard me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is, Any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in an up to 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder, its officers, and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live state-side-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. And now, Emeritus Rex. 75 years of Medina Israel. this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Popko. I say, of course, 75 years in Medina, Israel, because we all have to support our country, our land, our people. We are in the second week of this, of this war. All right, Pupko, what's your take on the Biden visit? Let's start with that, Biden's visit and what he accomplished, if anything. You know, I think the, the positive
1: way to look at it is that it's a very dramatic uh, gesture of American support, unqualified American support for Israel. Uh, going into Gaza and uh, eliminating uh, the Hamas leadership and Hamas in general. Uh, it was emotional. It was visceral. It was uh, it was real. The question is, is there a subtext to all of this? And And that's something time will tell, is the subtext that Biden is showering Israel with love in order to have the clout to stop Israel from doing things they may want to do, like engage with Hezbollah. I think the purpose of the Aircraft carriers and all of that is to deter Hezbollah and the purpose of the visit and all and everything else that America has done is to restrain Israel. I mean, the American interest here is not to see this conflict widen in any way, Uh, whether that means Hezbollah, whether it means Shia militias in Syria and and in Iraq, uh, Revolutionary Guard, I should say, in Syria. Whether it means Iran directly in the in the worst case scenario is, is to make sure the war doesn 't go further than Gaza and they're doing that by uh, deterring Hezbollah with the shipping of weapons in the in the presence of of warships in the Mediterranean the eastern Mediterranean and by restraining uh, Bibi from possibly responding to a provocation from Hezbollah as you 've seen over the last week every day. Minor, relatively minor stuff uh, coming from
0: southern Lebanon. Certainly not minor if you're somebody living there. But let me push back a little bit because I keep on hearing Biden say, "Respect the rules of war. Respect the international rules of war." And that's what separates you from the enemy. There's an element of illogical aspect there to it because if the enemy is not going to play by the rules of war, as we saw. Um, the enemy is completely, there is no other rule except the extreme Quranic one that calls for the death of every Jew. Ha, ha, I saw this as trying to rein in the invasion. Listen, I, the other interpretation is that
1: he's the leader of a, of a party that has been wonderful the past week, but has elements in it that are terrible and in are very end. And he has to, uh, uh, and he has to be able to point to his statements as not being unconcerned about human rights. Listen, every decent human being is concerned by uh, civilian deaths in Gaza, uh, by uh, the pain that will be inflicted on regular Palestinians living in Gaza. We can all eloquently and persuasively invoke international law that those deaths are, you know, are, are, are the are, are the responsibility of Hamas fighters who. Not only embed themselves among civilians, but place, uh, their control and uh, command and control center in the basement of hospitals and their arsenals, you know, next to schools. So it's in, and, and, and again, in international law, if you, if fighters hide behind civilians and use them as human shields, as Hamas regularly does, that you are the one responsible for the subsequent harm done to them. So yeah, we can do that. But the fact is images and pictures from gaza over the next couple of months are going to be horrific and uh israel will have a strong case that it's done everything possible to protect civilians but those images will be powerful and biden has to say you know what he has to say for his own political purposes and it's an, and and you know, listen i don't think he has said anything that is that israel's generals wouldn't say they all we all believe this that you have to do everything to avoid you know unnecessary civilian casualties
0: I understand what you're saying, that he has to say this over and again in order to uh, appease the members of his party. Yeah. Um, h- however, I didn't hear uh, him say enough about hiding behind
1: civilians. Listen, what's not being said here, if you want to criticize Biden, there's, there's there's much to criticize. But I would focus much more on what he's done over the last couple of years. In other words, when he came in, he loosened Economic sanctions on Iran. Well, everyone's focusing on the on the hostage deal, but long before that, there was billions billions of dollars going into Iran because he loosened the uh, the, the 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 sanctions on on Iran, specifically their ability to sell oil in, in Asia and other places. And, and because of that, you know, you can make the argument that Iran had the resources to fund to train Hamas, and that uh, there's a responsibility
0: uh, on the American side. I don't know when this program is going to drop, and there might be another event like it, but the supposed you know five hundred people i don't know what the number is of mm-hmm. those killed in the hospital. you and I both know that as soon as the reports came in, there was immediate condemnation and criticism of israel call, you know again, no, the- I have to tell you that story is a microcosm
1: of everything wrong with with the current media that story. Was but it was but th- this time it had profound, devastating consequences. People die because of that lie. There are riots and demonstrations, and there's storming of embassies, an attack on a synagogue in Germany, and Tunisia. I mean, people will die because of this, and, yes. uh, and and the fact that the media so quickly and unquestionably accepted uh, that claim. And then when corrected, not by rhetoric or statements from Israel, but proof from Israel, the media shifted, not to the Palestinians blow up their hospital, but to a he said, she said kind of thing. Uh, You know, when Hamas said something, it was accepted as truth. When Israel says something, all of a sudden there are claims from both sides. Uh, And the evidence is clear. The Americans have, have confirmed it. When the sun came up, the building was still standing. It was it was. Uh, The damage was in the parking lot, for God's sakes. I mean, the the initial claim of Hamas was so
0: beyond anything reasonable, it should have been questioned. One one of the favorite films uh, that I grew up with was Anatomy of a Murder, uh, with uh, Jimmy Stewart playing a lawyer, defending someone in a very difficult state. And one of the things he did as a lawyer was say something that he knew would be objected to by the judge and by the other counsel, but once the jury heard it, of course they cannot unhear it. And the point here is obvious. Even though it was in, it dismissed and now, as you said, with such proof, what everybody the first impression is what everybody is going to remember. And the average guy in Des Moines, or anywhere in the world is going to say, hmm, like you said, he said, she said, or is going to remember the first thing. Well, there's evil on both sides. And I, I condemn the suffering from both parties. And again, that that is why I think, despite the fact the Israelis prudently waited and then produced the uh, photographic and audio evidence to show that this was a lie, it was too late. <laughs> the- but but also, not only was it too late, I want to, a
1: couple of things about this. Number one, the IDF has a stellar record going back decades for being honest and open. Some are critical that the IDF sometimes takes too long to correct things in order to make sure they're 100% correct, what they're going to say, which has given the other side too, many, too much time to get their lie, as you say, across the world. The other element here is the Hamas record of of deception is clear. We all we should all remember the Mohammed Al Dura story, where they where they seem to you know they they show this kid being killed by Israel. They have film footage of the kid getting up and walking away from the outtakes. I mean, there was a lawsuit in France about it about that a libel case. I mean, there's a clear record here here of lying. And here's the most here's the other troubling thing. Right now. From what I understand, I don't spend time on, on social media, Is on social media, young Americans are still believing the lie. I mean, despite everything, they just think Israel's lying. The well, has put out their videos and whatever, everything else, and, uh, and, and it's not working. The evidence isn't, isn't
0: persuasive to a, whole, to, a whole, to a whole slice of the demographic. There is, there is a large section of people on social media claiming that the massacres were a lie. That the beheadings were lot. right? Right. The burning of Israeli children right. was all Israeli-produced videos, even though it was from Hamas who had made the videos. I mean, they're like the Harlem Globetrotters here—the way they're handling this ball. On one hand, they're out there trumpeting this incredible victory in al Akbar and all the killings and beheadings. But on the other hand, they got the other hand saying, "Oh no, look—you see, this is all Israeli propaganda. This is et cetera." So it—it's—it it, it really is disturbing and terrible yeah but listen there's a lot of stuff going on
1: right now that we're that we haven't talked about yet I mean there are some positive things here uh in the response nothing positive about what Hamas did but there's positive things in the response number one you have a lot of progressive Jews not all but you have a lot of progressive Jews who have woken up with the painful realization as to who their friends are and they are distancing themselves I don't know how long it'll last I don't know what will happen when the pictures from Gaza begin to come out after an Israeli ground incursion. But right now, you have a lot of progressive Jews clapping al Khait, you know, who are saying, you know, we didn't realize, you know, who we have allied ourselves. The other positive thing is a lot of Jews who are marginal to Jewish life have stepped up who we thought were marginal, whether it means major donors to UPenn or Harvard, who are now withdrawing donations and speaking up clearly. People running law firms who are, you know, withdrawing offers of employment to the students who sign these ridiculous declarations against Israel. So you have a you have three hundred actors and Hollywood Jewish actors, in Hollywood issuing a statement. So you have a lot of people who we thought, you know, weren't in the tent, who, who either have never left or are now in the tent again, who are now understand that uh, what happened on October seventh is something that ha- that sh- that has an impact on uh, on Jews everywhere. It has revealed the face of the world in many in painful ways, and a many. It's a wake-up call for a lot of Jews, and uh, and, and that's certainly uh, heartening to see. But uh, again, you know, time will tell how how
0: sustainable that that shift is. Yes, you know, I I, I I've tried to read um, rabbinic, and I guess maybe perhaps philosophical reaction uh, to the event. I, I, I've been sorely disappointed in much, even from people that I know personally, and I admire them. I did see a piece, though, I don't know if you saw it, uh, by Nathan Lopez Cordoza. I don't know if you saw that piece. Oh, But I I will uh, tell our listeners that I felt that he came close to discovering a, a central truth, which is, of course, the fact that we as a country, as a people, have a distinct an important role for humanity, which is something that has to be owned up to, even if you are not a religious person. Part of the problem, he felt, was that a sort of a second Israel had to arise after the Hakama of medina which was responding to demands of history and geography and politics and journalism and other sort of, um, you know, rubrics and definitions that made things untenable, especially when you had these wars going on, the unique role that we have for mankind has to be, I think, realized. This is part of what he talks about. Let let, let me qualify what I just said. I think that many of the speakers, and I'm not going to, you know, present company excluded, when asked to comment or opine on this, rely on some of their old shtiklachtaira, you know, and okay, let me now apply it. I thought this one, and again, you can find it, I think, on the Jerusalem Post website. I think this one is, is really gets back, gets us into our origins and what we are, because the main problem we've always had, I I think you'll agree, is are you a state? Is it based on religion? Is it based on Torah? Is it based, like, what's going on here? Like, are you a people? Do you have a, right? What, what the hell are we? And I think that's, as you said, a wake-up call, perhaps for those uh, marginal Jews as well. Not just the the truth that Ace of Somaliakos, that there's anti-Semitism anywhere. And that's for sure true. I think anybody objectively, when you see, like you say, the, the the glee in the condemnation, the uh, alacrity of the condemnation. I I don't go on a soapbox often in our discussions, but I think it's got to be bigger than the fact they hate us all, and you have to realize how much anti-Semitism is. I think the flip side is recognizing what we are, recognizing that this event is a a mirror or a a laser-like entry into the essence of what we are as Jews. The other element I would add
1: to that—I mean, I, I'm not actually. This is not exactly what you're saying, but just, just a slightly tangential—is that not only did we see what happened, obviously in Israel and the terrible slaughter and barbarism, and the murder of children, and the torture of children, and the murder of pregnant women. I mean, the rape everything we saw, but we also saw a shamelessness on the part of Palestinian supporters in the streets of New York and everywhere. Montreal, everywhere, uh, where the day, uh, the, the, you know, I mean, the immediate aftermath of the massacre of civilians, you had people who were not embarrassed to be associated with that. The hatred for for Israel, the hatred for the Jew was so intense that, you know, a, a compl- I mean, there's no restraint to go ahead and celebrate that. You had professors, you know, You know, you know, exuberant over the resistance that Hamas showed and the heroism. Uh, 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 and, And then you had people in the streets, the Democratic Socialists of America, Black Lives Matter in Chicago. You had all these people coming out condemning Israel, a near celebratory tone over the resistance that the Hamas fighters have shown and the pursuit of decolonization. Anything's allowed, basically. And and that was horrific. It was a wake up call and the masks were dropped as to what they really support. And, uh, you know, this was uh, a stark and painful uh, moment of realization on the part of Jews who, you know, didn't always understand, you know, how the world uh, understood us. By the way, part of this whole thing, I mean, we have to get to the psychology of this and and maybe it's not psychology, maybe it's just, it's, it's strategy, is why were the media so susceptible and excited almost to propagate the Hamas lie about the hospital? Why? And the reason is really very simple. They were deeply disturbed that Israel was getting sympathy after the massacre. Right. Right. And they had to go ahead and change the story. They had to change the story from Hamas barbarism to Jewish barbarism. And they were so excited that they could stop feeling guilt
0: and stop feeling bad for the Jews. We've talked about our history and our pleasure in the New York Times before on this platform. And, and again, I just, it, it's, it's mind boggling. The oxes, the Salzburgers, all the people who own, how could this paper, which has such Jewish roots, continue By the way, the journalist who wrote that story
1: was a congressional aide to Rashida Tlaib. Okay, we're not talking here about objective journalism anymore. We're talking here about advocacy journalism. And it's all about, you know, destroying uh, the reputation of the Jewish people and of the Jewish state it's all about knocking israel off what they think is some kind of pedestal this is a vicious campaign of delegitimization and you see it on the you know on the streets you see it in the demonstrations you see it on, on on university campuses but again what's been gratifying is the number of jews who have finally remembered who they are right and have woken up have withdrawn as i said offers to law students have withdrawn their donations to universities are standing up because in the face of this calamity you know, uh, there's a profound sense of Jewish vulnerability. Listen, uh, we have memories, and uh, these images fit in those memories, and we know what those memories are. And uh, and this has re- reawoken a lot of people. Again, it's way too soon to talk about whether this, these passions are sustainable, but right now, Jews are doing the right thing. American Jews are going to raise uh, $750 million to send to Israel. American Jews are raising an enormous amount of funds, and that's That's the one tangible way or one of the tangible ways we show support in addition to political advocacy.
0: As you know, I just returned from Israel and I was witness to the incredible uh, uh, effect of that giving and that charity and that sense that we have to do something. There's a lot of American kids who are flying now to Israel in order to do stuff, not necessarily to enlist but the help on the ground, because there's so much help that is needed. And the volunteerism in Israel is
1: unbelievable. The response to the call was 150%. El Al planes, okay, outside of Israel, the, of young Israelis running back for the first time. El Al had, had people sitting in the aisle. Yes. Right, They were sitting on the aisle. The planes were packed. And people just were flowing back. I mean, listen, it's a beautiful thing to see.
0: Not, not only the Israelis who wanted to go back and fight. But even these American kids that want to come and help mothers who are stuck at home yeah. because their husbands are there to babysit, to do the things that don't sound so heroic but are so necessary. I mean, as, as, this is it, this is really an incredible response, as you're saying. Let me ask you something. Uh, I, I got a text from someone about the 9,000 employees of Starbucks. And, and they have actually worked, the, or, the company itself, the organization itself, actually worked with friends of mine in Kashrus. And there has been a lot of interesting things through Starbucks about the Kashrus history of how to, which Starbucks can go to, which you can't. And it sounds like Starbucks was very amenable to the Jewish clientele and working with these rabbis. Now, as you know, there's been a call to boycott Starbucks because... It's not correct. No, the person who is serving you stands. It's not here. all the unions. It was one part. It's, it's not
1: not all Starbucks employees are in the same union. This is all locals. Anyway, I don't know much about it, but what I do know is you can't hold a company responsible for what some of its
0: employees have said. Again, I hear what you're saying in terms of don't blame the corporation, but they could, even though they are the union, they could fire them for hate speech, couldn't they? America has very
1: strong protection of free speech. It's very tough to do.
0: Uh, re, re, this re, is not America. This is about if you, if, if you engage in hate speech and, right. and, and, and you are backing Hamas and what they did, then that means you – let's say they would say we stand with the cops who killed George Floyd. Don't you think they would have been fired right away? I mean, let me tell you one other thing that, that I spoke about with, with others and perhaps with you as well the response by imams and Muslims throughout the world. I think I mentioned that. So I, I noticed here that way back on October 9th, over a week ago, the Global Imams Council, uh, which is headquartered in Iraq, in Najaf. They condemn Hamas. I saw that. They condemn Hamas. 209 names here. It, it's interesting that that is the only voice
1: I've heard. I want to tell you, I chaired a meeting the other morning of 30 rabbis from across Canada and the singular sentiment which dominated the conversation was the painful silence of our putative friends, meaning these are rabbis that have relationships in their own communities with non-Jewish clergy, and how none of them have stepped up. The Protestant Churches condemned Israel. The United Church of Canada issued a horrible statement against Israel. The Muslims have been completely silent, people who posture themselves as our friends. The Catholics issued a statement which was mealy-mouthed. And not and besides all the statements. Just the personal relationships that were betrayed, meaning there was no call, there were no calls of support, and the silence of of people who others thought were our friends is, is, is really pa- is, uh, is painful for a lot of people yes yeah,
0: so it's painful and therefore revelatory isn't it? Isn't it? Re- it's it's revelatory about, as you said, the, the friendshipless paper thing The masks are gone.
1: The masks are gone. Alliances that we thought were solid have been revealed to be uh, meaningless. I believe this is a hinge moment. Again, I may be premature in declaring it that, but I think that this is a wake-up call for a lot of a- alienated
0: Jews and for a lot of progressive Jews. You know, one of the things that the Israeli press, not just Haaretz, which I've mentioned to you often, has said is that they believe Netanyahu needed to not only say we're going to destroy Hamas, but needed to apologize for and take responsibility for oh, this. I, I got to tell you, you know, Bibi has finally done something no
1: prime minister in Israel has ever done. Bibi has completely united the country. Everybody in Israel, from extreme left to extreme right, now hate Bibi for this failure. I mean, that's the reality. The chief of staff certainly did. The head of the the Mossad did. Everybody took responsibility. And we all know the day after this war, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Everyone knows that. Everyone's willing to wait till the end. But the day after, I believe the chief of staff, the head of military intelligence, and other and others will be out of a job, and be included. How the, the mechanism for that? We'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll you know we'll find out later. But all these guys are gone. BB's failures are, are are obvious. Number one, he was the primary architect of this belief that Hamas wanted stability. He actually benefited from it. He thought. I mean, when he, I mean, the state of Israel benefited from having a divided uh, pa- Palestinian people. He he facilitated the financial aid funneled through Qatar that ended up uh, being used to fund all of this. He was the prime. That that's across the board, though. Foreign policy experts across the world bought into this idea of this of this moderating Hamas. Oh,
0: having this cold peace with them. So to right. Say. And that
1: they were, you know, they're going to shoot rockets every couple of years and brief skirmishes, but they want long-term stability. They'll stir up trouble in the West Bank to undermine Abbas, And we all forgot that in 2018, a Victor Lieberman, Resigned from the government because after that year's conflict with Gaza, the government didn't do what they now seem poised to do, which is go and destroy Hamas. And because of that refusal, Victor Lieberman resigned. I mean, we have to mention the people who were right. And, um, and, uh, and, and right now, so that's BB's number one failure. The, the second failure is in this he shares blame with the left for publicly and flamboyantly putting on display the internal divisions in Israel, which sent a message of, of vulnerability uh, to, to Israel's adversaries. And that was terrible. And the third thing he's responsible for, ultimately, ministerial, you know, as a prime minister, is the fact that Israel was so Ill, ill-prepared. Units had been shifted to the West Bank, For right? It was Yontif, many people weren't there. Whatever, the operational failure of this mass incursion which went on for hours. He, even to this morning, they said
0: there's still guys from Gaza in Israel. There's no question about it that they, they, they have not found all the apertures and entryways that the uh, that Hamas has used. They haven't found them all. No, but listen,
1: they, they bashed through the fences with tractors. Right. You know, they just went in and, and it was lightly guarded. Uh, they were able to take out, you know, the automatic the machine guns. They were able to take out the cameras and the sensors. A billion-dollar fence proved meaningless. And um, and they relied too much
0: on high tech, possibly. We're going to see a ground incursion probably very soon. Let me stop you on that for a second. Um, last week, again, when I was trying to gauge the temperature and, and understanding what was happening when I was there in Israel, uh, the feeling was it was going to happen very soon. And now it seems to be stalling. Now, so I want to tell you, I have a little bit of an answer to this, and let me tell me if you agree. It came uh, through a fifty year old former uh, uh, Israeli war officer who went back into service, uh, and I met him and spoke with him, and he told me that we need the time as as gung-ho and as passionate as they are. these wonderful young men are, especially the reservists who are coming. they need time. To be trained, to exactly. Be, to be put together. No, Israel's not going to repeat the, the mistake they made in t- 2006 when they rushed into
1: Lebanon after the three soldiers were taken. They learned that lesson. No, you're right. There's going to be more deliberation here. You know, and I think I, you know, we we'll see how you know how much real training has been going on. That will be evident immediately. But again, there's all different kinds of units there. Some units were are obviously in, in, in the army already. Some of them are reservists. Some of them some of them have better training than others and are more. Uh, focused on, on on direct conflict, we'll find out. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. We're gonna lose boys, God forbid. We know that we're gonna. You
0: know, there's gonna be a lot of dead Palestinians, unfortunately, as those Levis pile up. Uh, and I was witness to a number of them last week. It, it's going to take a, a, a terrible toll. W- let's end on this, which is something that by Bi- We started with Biden today. Let's end with something Biden said. He said his number one priority. Is the release of the hostage, especially those that hold American citizenship? I'll go out there and say it. I, I really believe if Israel concentrates too much on the on the hostage release, they are going to be handcuffed in what they need to do. I think it's a bitter reality. I think we have to say part of us has to say that they are over that that it's it's finished. The, the hostage issue, I think, is going to. Uh, it, 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 as much as America's, that's what we're about, don't, don't you agree with me that, that if, if, if they keep on saying you can't do this or we're going to kill a guy every hour, we know what halacha says about, uh, about being po'ed to hostages. We know that it's a murky area, but there are some clear directives that if we do negotiate and keep on making concessions to them, this is a way to lose.
1: Israel has two priorities now. One is getting rid of Hamas and the other is saving the hostages. There's no question that whenever those two imperatives are in conflict, getting rid of Hamas will take priority. Let me put it that way. And therefore, uh, you know, as as hopeful as we want to be, uh, logic demands that optimism may be unrealistic about the hostages. You know, the POSIC tells you when you go to war, you're supposed to sue for peace first. I believe there would be some advantages to Israel declaring right now, even though it will all be rejected, saying right now, four conditions. If Hamas leadership departs Gaza, if the hostages are released, if there is a internationally supervised democratic elections in Gaza for a new leadership that doesn't have radical elements, and if Gaza demilitarizes, then Israel will not invade. Now, that will obviously be rejected. But to say to the world that, you know, we don't want to do this, you know, all we want is our hostages back and non-terrorists to run that place then you know I think it'll help the moral cause of the standing of the state of Israel to make that kind of proclamation before going in. I don't think the
0: I don't see a downside to that. I think that the um the hostages parents and relatives who will say anything to get their their, their loved one back, those voices again will be thrown into this cacophony of 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 opinion and be pointed at. And, and, and I think realism has to take take precedence. You're right. When they're in conflict with each other, we have to get rid of Hamas. But I am just scared again about the propaganda uh, uh, gold of these hostages' families making these type of statements. And uh, we have to we have to we have to have our clubs. So we'll catch you up, and we will be here giving you uh, the the best of the opinions that we can get. Be well. See you next time. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom.